Welcome to Hmong American Christian Podcast. Raising the experiences, stories, and faith perspectives of Hmong Americans seeking deeper integration of ethnic identity and Christian faith. We're your hosts, Dur Lor, Paul Kong, and Second Yang. Thanks for joining us. Hello and welcome to Hmong American Christian Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Second Yang. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking about current events. You know, some of you may be asking, why are you guys talking about current events? What does this have to do with Hmong American Christianity? And I firmly believe that current events does influence the church. It doesn't shape the church, but it does influence the church and its identity and its mission. When we look at the epistles that Paul wrote, John wrote, James, they're responding to some controversy or to some topic going on at that time. And so each of the letters, as you read them, it is in response to an activity that's going on. And that's that's what we want to do today is respond to the current events that are happening in our time. And something for our listeners, if you guys want to do a deeper dive into it, um, I recommend a book by Richard Niebuhr called Christ and Culture, where he offers up uh, five uh, models for us to view. And Duran and Paul, what are you guys' thoughts on Christ and culture and how do you navigate this conversation? Yeah, I think Niebuhr's Christ and culture models are a helpful tool for the church simply because um, for some of us who, myself included, at one point in my life, I was the one who was like, what does the church have to do with culture? What does culture have to do with the church? Aren't these things like completely different and, and divorced from each other? Um, but I think Niebuhr's Christ and culture model um, helps us to realize that actually there is um, a relationship between Jesus and culture or Christ and, um, you know, kind of modern culture outside of the church. Um, and so it's our job as those who are believers to um, discern what that relationship is. And, um, and when we rightly discern how we relate to the culture around us, then we can also um, discern our mission to that culture, what we, the church, are supposed to do um, in the culture and, and in the context that we find ourselves in. This framework helped me sift through my experience as a Hmong Christian in America. Like I said, like in previous conversations in the podcast, I felt like the Hmong culture was divorced from Christ um, in my Christian experience. And um, one part of that is even in the area of politics. And I'm not a politic person who is like a into politics at all. And I almost pride myself to say that I don't know anything about politics. So that doesn't shape my perspective on, uh, on, uh, in the church. So uh, I, I almost, I actually believe that. And, uh, and the more I uh, started to be a little more aware consciously of what's happening politically around the world, I was so shocked about how much the political perspectives were ingrained into Christianity and, and how I embrace so much of that unconsciously. These, uh, this framework helped me really um, bring those things into perspective and bring some vocabulary to, um, to the dialogue that I'm having internally and with others. Yeah, and Niebuhr does land on Christ transforming culture. At the same time, he doesn't define what culture. I mean, some presume that he's talking about a 
you know, Eurocentric or a Western culture. And he also doesn't define Christ. You know, what does he exactly mean by Christ? But it does provide some good terminology uh, for those who are interested um, in in his book and interested in this whole discussion of, of Christ and culture. And one thing I would like to um, also share is that, you know, the Bible doesn't ever prescribe a specific culture for us. It details cultures, it describes them. And we are all aware that Jesus was born within a culture. He was a Jewish man born in the first century. And so his influences are from the first century. In Acts chapter 17, we see Paul at the Areopagus. And this is a area where the Greeks would meet to have a council and discuss and talk. And so we see that even Paul in his cultural context is meeting the non-believers or those who don't know who God is, those don't know who Jesus is, going to their context and and it's helping, it's it's influencing him and he's responding to them as well. But one of the big current events that I really want to really want to talk about that is really exciting for me is Sinisa Lee and her winning gold in the Olympics (laughs) for the all around for the women's uh, gymnastics. And I am so excited and I'm so pumped up. Um, Paul, what are your thoughts about Sinisa Lee? She's an East sider from St. Paul and I'm, I'm ecstatic y'all. Like I, I am so, so excited. Um, I told my son that uh, he's six year old, six years old, but I said to my son, like, she can do something like this. You, you can do it too, if you want to. And it was just amazing to be able to say those words to my son, to actually believe it, <laughs> just to experience that was, it was a crucial point in my, my Hmong American history. Derek, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, first of all, uh, we want to celebrate our sister, Sunisa Lee, and just acknowledge that we are being led by Hmong women today. And um, that is something that's such a gift to us. Uh, You know, we know our culture is historically, traditionally patriarchal. um, And yet in this generation, um, we are confronted with our own patriarchy, right? Even as three Hmong men uh, co-hosting this this podcast. Um, and so I think it's good f- to name um, that, you know, this Hmong sister is winning gold, putting Hmong Americans on, on the global map. Um, so I just want to acknowledge that first. Um, shout out to the Hmong sisters who are defying all, all of the uh, bias against Let's you. go. <laughs> Had to go against so much that I, someone like myself will never understand and know what it's like to be in your shoes. And yet to persevere, um, not only at the national level, but at the global level um, is just something that is just so awesome and yet so almost unimaginable uh, that 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 would have happened uh, in our lifetime. Um, The other thing I kept wondering as I was kind of watching Sunisa on the news shows and interviews and seeing her, um, you know, in the gym, I kept wondering what was going through her mind and what her experiences were. Like, did she believe that she had won gold? I mean, just the story of growing up in East 
side St. Paul and knowing that she, you know, she, like many Hmong Americans kind of came up kind of lower class, uh, lower socioeconomic class. And, um, that's just not the Hmong American script that we were taught. I think, I think that's what I'm getting at that we, we, we weren't told of these possibilities as a Hmong American and to be able to cross those boundaries um, is just some, something that I imagine there were moments where she was just, she had to pinch herself. Yeah, and I have a 18 year old daughter who was a freshman in college and I could be Sunisa Lee's father. Like sometimes yeah. I forget my age and I feel like I'm 27 years old still, but watching her perform, I was so proud of her, so proud of the moment and I'm just so happy for her and her family and happy for the Hmong community, not just the Hmong American uh, Christian community, but the Hmong American you know, non-Christian community as well. I think she united all of us in her accomplishment. And again, I just all tip my hat to her, um, you know, rock on, you know, keep, keep doing awesome. And, and as we all know, she's going to Auburn, she's going to Go to school there, and uh, I hope she she uh, um, does well at that school as well, and, and supports that school. Um, one thing too, I wanted to note was I have some relatives that are overseas in Thailand, and she had come up, and all the Hmong Thai people were happy for her, happy for Hmong people, but even their um, acknowledgement of the situation wasn't as from what my family members told me, wasn't as powerful as like the Hmong American um, response to her winning. Because I think for the Hmong Thai, you know, she was a Hmong person, but they couldn't really relate to her uh, because of the, you know, being Hmong Thai. And so, so even within the Hmong story, this is a, you know, the, that Hmong American story, but, but one that, again, super proud of that. I'm, and, and it flips the narrative. I saw something on social media where, you know, in the past, when you talked about Hmong people to people who don't know who we are, you'd have to use references like, you know, Grand Torino or use references like, uh, you know, General Vang Pao. But now it's like our narrative has changed. Now we can say, hey, I'm Hmong, like Sunisa Lee, you know, she's Hmong. And I, and I love that many of the media outlets are telling the Hmong story about how we're uh, refugee people uh, from the Vietnam War. And it, it has totally just switched how people uh, perceive us and how people think about us. And so, again, just very, very proud of that situation. Yeah, and then switching gears to some more sobering um, current events, as we all may know, um, in mid-August uh, in Afghanistan, there was an event where um, many Afghans were fleeing the country, um, trying to get on a, a plane. And, and there's this photo that was shared of people running, trying to get on the plane. And that was parallel to Hmong people when we were fleeing uh, Laos during the Vietnam War. And someone had put a side-by-side -side of the two pictures of the you know, Afghanistan picture and, and then the Hmong picture. And it was just a so eye-opening, um, very a traumatic situation. And, and I think one that first gen, when they saw the video footage and saw that picture must have reopened some you know, trauma in, in their history of fleeing to America and being refugees. And 
Uh, Dur, what are your what are some of your thoughts of the events that happened in Afghanistan and paralleling that with the Hmong story? Yeah, first of all, a lot of a lot of pain um, and a lot of I mean, even anger, anger at the empire, even, anger at the powers that be that can um, come into a weaker country and um, bring their mil military presence and then evacuate when, when they decide to, and then to, to leave the ramifications um, of their decision to the natives, to the indigenous, to, to sort out. So a lot of anger there. Um, and, you know, I, I was, I was born in a refugee camp in Thailand. Uh, we came to the States when I was about two. So I didn't live through, well, I, I lived through the uh, getting on the plane, but I, I don't have any conscious memory of it. Um, I have my parents' stories, um, more so of the, you know, stories of fleeing in the jungles in order to get to the refugee camps. I think a lot of us can probably uh, share some of our parents' stories there. Um, but just knowing that my my family lived through that and that I was born in a refugee camp in Thailand and knowing factually that that was my experience, even if I didn't, didn't remember it, um, it just made that experience more real again, that, that this isn't some, you know, when you're young and you, and you listen to your parents tell these stories as like a 12 year old kid, you, it sounds like some old fairy tale from a long time ago. Um, and it's not real to, to a teenage boy, but then you see it happen again in 2021 and you're like, Oh, 1975 was not that long ago and it's happening again. Uh, and so it's just uh, another uh, moment where we realize the, the brokenness of, of our world and um, the brokenness of national relations. Um, and it's a lot that we need to, to grieve and grieve over and over again. Yeah, my parents share a story with us when they were evacuating, um, there was a hangar that landed and my dad, his brother and my mom, my mom was carrying my oldest brother on her back and they were running towards the hangar and my dad and my uncle got on the plane first and my dad turned around to grab my mom to help her up onto the plane. But then the crowd was just so massive. They pushed my dad and my uncle all the way to the front of the plane. And so my dad and my mom were separated. So the plane's going, it's gonna take off. My mom is not on the plane. And my mom, again, carrying my older brother on her back, she's running, running, trying to keep up with the plane. And then my grandma is there. And my grandmother, as the hangar door is closing, my grandmother, they said for some something like adrenaline or whatever it was, my grandma just like threw my mom onto the plane. And so my mom was like one of the last people on the plane. And my dad had no idea if my mom made it or not. They they just had to search around and then they found each other again. But but that is a, a real life story of my parents' uh, journey of coming to America and and that and so that photo in Afghanistan of that plane and just seeing that parallel with the Hmong story uh, hit me really close to home too. And my mom even said, uh, she was talking to my brother. She was like, 
that's how it was like. That was exactly how it was like when I was trying to get on the plane, when we were trying to escape. And, um, you know, my grandmother has, has now passed, but I, I thank God for her in that uh, she had the um, adrenaline, the power, the, the, you know, just the thought to throw my mom onto the plane. Um, it's kind of crazy, kind of crazy news. But another uh, historic um, event in the Hmong community uh, here in the Twin Cities in Minneapolis was a, a Hmong ballet that was uh, written and uh, also performed uh, by Hoshia Aaron uh, Tao. And it's called uh, Diaspora, A Mother's Elegy. And my family was fortunate enough, uh, we were able to go to the Saturday night showing. Um, and uh, Paul and Dur just wanted to Give you guys thoughts on on this ballet and what it means for the the Hmong's uh, story and for the Hmong refugees here in the Twin Cities and, and all across America. Yeah, before uh, we'll ask again to to expand on the, his experience with the ballet. I did not see the play, but I am so excited whenever there's new content about from Hmong artists that are telling the Hmong story in in various forms. There's something so beautiful to be able to express our our Hmong culture. Because when I think about the Hmong people, one thing I think about is art, color, uh, vibrance. We do art, crafts, and especially in America, we have been able to expand into different forms of art. And now it's ballet. But second, I know that you saw it. Yeah, the ballet, um, it was in partnership with the Center for Hmong Arts and Talent, and it was funded in part by the Minnesota Humanities Center uh, with uh, with money from the Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. So uh, just want to thank the Center for Hmong Arts and Talent and also thank the Minnesota Humanities Center for making this possible. And my family, like, we we really enjoyed the ballet. Like it was the my first time going to a ballet. I did not know what to expect. The only ballet I'm kind of familiar with is the Nutcracker. You know, that's kind of all I've seen like growing up outside of that, not much else. And so, um, so this story, um, uh, so the, the name of the ballet again is a uh, diaspora, a mother's elegy. The story is uh, based on um, Hoshia Aaron Tall's mom's story of, you know, growing up in Laos and then coming to America. And so it chronicles her life and I believe it's in uh, five different acts um, uh, with throughout the play. Oh, I'm sorry, throughout the ballet. And just watching the uh, the dancers, watching the music, uh, the choreography, um, the story. And and the cool thing was the dancers they wore like Hmong outfits, and so that was just so. Like I've, I've never seen Hmong outfits like on a stage in that way. And so seeing it uh, utilized and, and seeing them performing, it was just, um, uh, it, it took my breath away, it really did. Um, there are some parts of the ballet where I got teary eyed because they also used Hmong instruments. One of the, I think the second song um, that, that there was choreography to, they used a Hmong instrument and like I don't have a lot of association like with our parents' generation when it comes to music, when it comes to 
um, even um, um, like art, bando, um, uh, things of that of that nature. Like I, I'm, I'm not again, I'm not artsy, so I, I don't have a lot of uh, of um, affinity for that. But then seeing it on the stage just brought a lot of joy to me, a, a lot of pride, and I was just so happy that Hoshia Aaron. Uh, Todd just told the story and that he was able to uh, put it together and um, again another milestone and historical historic event for Hmong people and I encourage people if you're in the Twin Cities uh, if it comes back around here to to support it to go watch it uh, support the arts and support the Hmong story and um, this is just a, another way to tell our refugee story of how our people came here um, to America, you know, it's, uh, I don't know of any movies um, that Hollywood has done. I, I've read some books, you know, I've heard um, parents tell stories and things like that. Some people have chronicled their their uh, uh, migration story here to America, but again, seeing it as a ballet just was really beautiful and was really well done. And uh, my family, had, we, had a, we had a great time. Can I ask you a question? I uh, I remember seeing the photo of the ballet and I actually just pulled it up. There's actually a section in there where there's three nuns and a cross. Yeah, yeah. It also talks about the um, conversion of his family or his mother and her family as well. So that's a part of the story. Um, yeah, okay. it tells the it, it so it it does tell the Hmong American Christian story because our parents and you know, missionaries and the work that the church did in Laos. So that is a part of the ballet as well. So, but yeah, you're right, Paul, that that's a big, a big part of the story. And so um, again, it's, it's, it's a, it's another way to talk about the Hmong narrative of, of our story and our history. And so uh, again, I encourage people to, to check it out. Keeping in the same topic of arts and, and entertainment here. So my family and I, we um, had the, uh, privilege and also a lot of fun. Uh, we went to go watch uh, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. We saw it in the afternoon and then Linda and I, we loved it so much. We actually went back that evening and watched it a second time. And so, <laughs> Dur, Paul, did you guys get a chance to watch the movie yet? And what were your thoughts of it? Well, I'm 0 for 2 on this. I have not seen Shang-Chi either. Uh, my, my initial comment, though, is that you know, I think the importance, um, the obvious importance of having Asian American representation is that, um, you know, in the past, usually the Asian character is like the, the the background character, the one that's kind of the quiet, submissive, you know, portrayed as like exotic and portrayed as like weird in the nerdy, all these stereotypes that we think of. And so to have something like a Marvel film that does uh, stars an Asian cast and Asian actor um, is obviously another thing to celebrate. Um, and it, it, uh, along with what we've been saying, you know, it tells the story uh, according to the lens of those who are traditionally marginalized. Yeah, so I am still looking forward to seeing Shang-Chi in The Legend of the Ten Rings. Um, all my family has all seen it already. So I don't know, maybe one of these Saturday afternoons, I'll just go in and enjoy it and see it by myself. I thought... It was done way better than I expected because I saw the trailers and I was like, okay, what's going on here? I said on Facebook that this reminded me of uh, Crouching Tiger, Hitting Dragon, 
Rumble in the Bronx and Mulan, kind of like all mixed in together. And uh, and I think that, uh, you know, as an Asian person who watched Asian movies, um, I felt that this was something that kind of reflected what I've seen throughout my lifetime. Uh, so it wasn't anything that was extremely different, but I was so happy to see Asian representation at the Marvel level. Yeah, and, and I don't know if some of the the way that the movie was shot was intentional. And and Paul, you may remember there was a, a scene in the movie where uh, when uh, Sean you know walks into his, um, into Katie's house, he takes his shoes off, and you know the director like intentionally like has this shot of him removing his shoes before walking in. And, you know, so he goes in, they have breakfast and he's having a conversation with Katie's grandmother and Katie's grandmother, you know, the dialogue is, you know, hey, you know, uh, the grandmother talking to Sean, she asks him, hey, when are you two going to get married? You know, and Sean's like, oh, grandma, we're just friends, you know. And so those two scenes, like very quick, very brief. And maybe if you're not an Asian person, you didn't catch it. But I was cracking up like the shoe taken off and there's like a pile of shoes behind it. Like I was cracking up because I was like, man, it's such an Asian thing. And then when the grandma was talking about, you know, getting married, I was like rolling in my chair. Um, so I don't, I think it was intentional by the writers and the director. I don't know if the actors and actresses had any input into that scene or not, but just those small details, just, I was cracking up um, on those scenes. Which, did you have any thoughts about those scenes, Paul, or any other scenes that you just really felt like a kind of an Asian American dynamic? Yeah. And so, first of all, uh, spoiler alerts here. <laughs> but, <Right. laughs> you know, I saw that scene and I was like, that's the reason why that's so Asian that people don't know is because usually, uh, traditionally, boys and girls aren't friends, you know, it's in the Hmong culture, right? Like you just, you just can't be friends. If you're together, it means something. And so that's why I remember growing up all the time. My grandma would ask me the same question when I brought my friends over. Is this, is this your girlfriend? You know, I was like, no, mom, I'm not no grandma. This is just my friend. And so uh, exactly the same conversation that I had. This is related, um, but kind of uh, tangent a little bit off of Shang-Chi. Have you guys been noticing there's a lot more Asian American representation in TV commercials these days? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. random, like car um, commercials. Car, yep. There's a, is it the a NBA one? The NBA with the, with the playoffs, the grandma. Yep. Yeah. And just a host of other ones. And uh, yeah. That, I think that's getting at the same thing that this new uh, level of portraying Asian Americans as part of the American social fabric. It's that simple that we are here and we, we belong here. We're, we're, we're Americans. And it's so subtle. I think for people who are not Asian Americans, uh, more so speaking to my majority culture, white brothers, brothers and sisters um, who are in America are not marginalized. I th- my guess is that they, they see it as like, so what's the big deal? It's a, it's a commercial with Asian American people. Right. So what? But for everybody else, it's like the Jeremy Lin effect, right? Like yeah. all of Asian America was celebrating Jeremy Lin in the NBA. I, I'm not, I don't follow the NBA, so I, I, I'm sure he, he wasn't the best NBA player. We know that. But there was this, uh, what is how it? Dare, how dare you say that? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's an insanity. Insanity. Yeah, insanity, yep. 
Mexico was uh, like acting like he was the best, right? I think it's partly not because they wanted to, but it's because we put ourselves on that platform where they, if they ignore us now, it's obviously there's something wrong with them because we are made to the highest level. They're putting Korean pop music into the commercials, all these things is because I believe that we, that, that we can't be ignored anymore, even if they wanted to. So I, I think it's, I, I kind of come from that angle a little bit more. And I know many listeners are asking, you know, why are you guys discussing current events? How does this relate to Hmong Christian, to Hmong American Christianity? And, but th- these events are important for Hmong American Christians because these are a reflection of our identity. Like we aren't, we aren't Hmong people. We are Hmong Americans who are trying to be a certain a color, a certain culture, a certain, um, like we're shaping our identity in Christ and we're shaping who we are in Christ. And it's important for us to tell these stories because it's important for us to understand that these events are influencing us, but at the same time, it's also helping because it's telling the Asian American story, the Asian American narrative that Asian Americans, we are different and God has made us different, but that's important because in the end times, in the eschaton, there's going to be different tribes, languages. There's going to be people of different color worshiping God together. And this is just a small piece of of how Asian Americans um, like these events that help influence who we are. And it also helps influence the church and how the church is responding to these. And I know some pastors, you know, they don't want to use um, entertainment. They don't want to use, you know, current uh, movies and things like that to, to tell a story or to, you know, in their sermons and things like that. But, but some do. And I think that this helps to shape a sermon or it helps shape how people understand Asian, who Asian Americans are, because it's starting to change the narrative. It's starting to change how people perceive us, how we're understood, and that our identity is shaped um, not by a certain, you know, there's not one group that's telling our narrative and trying to explain our identity, but we can explain and we can share our identity and we can start to, to tell people and express what our identity is. And as I go back to, you know, Richard Niebuhr and his Christ and culture, you know, Niebuhr talks about how Christ trans transforms culture. And there's nothing, there's nothing um, uh, objectively wrong with Asian culture. And I think it's important that as Asian Americans that we get to reclaim our culture and that as we reclaim our culture and for Hmong American Christians, we can reclaim that through Christ and for Christ and transform our culture in that way. You guess, uh, Dara, Paul, you guys have any thoughts on that? The, the reality is that the broader culture is influencing um, you, influencing your leaders, your pastors, um, and if we don't recognize that, then um, then it's impacting us at, at subconscious levels. Um, and so 
that's where I think it's really critical for the church and for Christians to try and map out what that relationship looks like. Um, so for Hmong American Christian context, I think that plays out um, in the areas of music worship. I mean, if you think of a typical music worship uh, instrumentation, uh, drums, bass guitar, piano, electric guitar, where does that come from? That comes from the broader culture. And so that is one tangible example of how the broader culture shapes uh, Christian culture. But then it doesn't stop there because Christian culture can uh, then do certain, you know, I think of Hillsong, right, as like kind of the big Christian uh, worship name that does have an influence on the broader culture. Um, I think there's a new film coming out kind of highlighting some of these uh, Christian artists, and I think Hillsong is at the top of that list. Yeah, for me, I'm going to bring it back to Suni Lee a little bit here. And um, I was celebrating her as a Hmong person, and I realized that this feels really awkward <laughs> because um, in, in a sense that I've never celebrated my Hmongness in this way ever in my whole entire life. And I was sitting down, I was thinking about that. I was like, where else have I really celebrated myself, um, our Hmong accomplishments? And I've never done that. And um, that made me reflect upon as a Hmong Christian, I asked the question, does this happen in my theology? As I think about Hmong Christianity, as I read scripture, like where, where's my identity in this? Like, do I uplift other cultures and their practices more than mine? Uh, where, did, where does this come in? Like, why, why don't I see myself represented and uh, trying to celebrate myself in this Hmong Christianity? I never celebrated like that. Um, just a, a raw, authentic yeah. expression of, of joy and hope. We want to thank you guys for listening to today's episode. As a reminder, please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Facebook.